and welcome to Settling Scores, the musical theater podcast. We're your hosts, Stephanie Dillard, Lenny West, and Forrest Hutchinson. And we're so glad you've tuned in to hear us bicker and banter about all things Broadway. Today we'll be featuring the show, She Loves Me. But first... Talk to me, baby, won't you talk to me? Yes, that song signals it's time for a catch-up convo, where we discuss any shows we've seen recently and any Broadway news we have to share. Lenny, would you like to get us rolling? Sure. I've got a couple of things to talk about. Um, First of all, there is a production of Guys and Dolls happening in London, West End, somewhere, uh, that I've been hearing about that's sort of um, immersive and sort of revolutionary, it sounds like. So excited, uh, being that Guys and Dolls is one of my favorite shows. So I listened to this recording. Forrest, have you heard it? I haven't heard it. I've heard it's got great reviews. I have not listened to the recording. I'm kind of Guys and Dolls out right now. (laughs) What did you think of it, then? I couldn't get through it. Oh, can you even get to the end? It's not awesome. I was really disappointed. I'm going to give it another try, but it just wasn't. I had I had a feeling when it came out that that one would be better to experience on stage than it would in recording. I'm curious about the immersive aspect. Like how so? It seems that it's like uh, it looked like it was in the round, in the round a little Uh bit. The audience becomes the fellow gangsters and (laughs) patrons of the hot box and all this sort of thing. Very interested. I've not seen clips or anything, but um, I'm totally interested in that. All right. A couple other little notes here. Um, We have filmed productions of musicals coming to movie theaters uh, in the next little bit. Um, A production of Titanic is going to be shown in movie theaters. Um, We are recording this on November 2nd, so November like 4th and 8th, I think. Uh, Very excited about that. Um, I've never seen the show and uh, scores great. Can't wait to experience that. Because um, it's not very often that we get a filmed. I know this is not a Broadway show from Titanic, but a filmed Indeed. professional production. That's great. Yeah. Waitress uh, is coming in uh, theaters in December. Not to brag, but I saw Sarah Bareilles do that in New York City for my 40th birthday. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will see Sarah Bareilles do it in the movie theater. <laughs> She's in the in that production. So Field very trip. exciting. Yeah, for sure. And then the big one. <sighs> <sighs> Uh, so we talked about Sweeney Todd on our last episode, and yesterday on November 1st, they announced uh, replacements for Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford, and we have thoughts. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it seems we're going to be um, getting Sutton Foster as Mrs. Lovett and Aaron Tveit as Sweeney Todd. I would love to dot, hear the dot, thoughts. Dot. Uh, is this the time for the thoughts or later thoughts? Oh, let's just get into it. Please, I uh, want to hear. What do you think? We, we talked about it a little bit, we, Lenny and I. Did, yeah. But what do you think, Lenny? So you said it yesterday in, via text message, that, and you're absolutely right. They're doing what they need to do to sell tickets. That's awesome. That's I have learned myself not to count out Sutton Foster. I remember in 2010 when it was announced she was going to be playing Reno Sweeney and Anything Goes, I thought, what are they doing? She's so not right for it. She's too young. She's this. She's that. Blah, 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 blah. And clearly I was mistaken. Yeah, she was amazing. It was unbelievable. Um, So I'm cautious about her. But Aaron Tveit doesn't have the voice, the right vocal qualities. He's like Mm. rock tenor. Sweeney is... Not a rock Growly, dark yeah. bass baritone, yeah. Maybe he'll prove us all wrong, but I'm sitting here with my arms folded, tapping my little foot <laughs> in anticipation of this going horribly wrong. What do you think, Forrest? Oh, I just, I have a lot of like baritone bass friends in the Broadway world who are very upset, you know, like if they cast a bass in a tenor role, you know, or they never would cast a bass in a tenor role, you know. But it, I mean, it is kind of along the lines of Josh Groban, except. 
Aaron DeVate has even a higher range than Josh Groban yeah. does. He doesn't even have the low notes, I don't think, Indeed. that Groban does. So I am, and I, like Lenny said, I think they did this, you know, to sell tickets. Those are two very popular actors in the Broadway world. So, and I think they will sell tickets. How will the quality of the show be affected? I don't know. It's yet to be seen on a bootleg at some point. <laughs> <laughs> not that we listen not or that watch we ever do that. bootlegs of course not. at all. The FBI is listening. No, never seen a bootleg. Never Curious. Very curious. Maybe they'll make a recording, okay, of this cast. Let's no, hope. They won't. No. All right, Forrest, what's your catch-up convo? Let's see. Well, the three of us last week saw the musical Ride the Cyclone, the musical, yeah. at Street <laughs> Theater Company. Um, we had a good time with that. And our friend Ross, right? Huzzah for um, Ross. So it was a good production. Yeah. We really enjoyed seeing that. That was one that I had heard of, but never listened to or anything. Same. So never seen, never mm-hmm. listened to, but heard of. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Very different. Very, very Did I say it was at Street Theater Company? You at did. Street you Theater did. Company, you did. Yeah. yeah. So I'm excited they're doing like unique shows that we don't always get to see. Something yeah. different. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yep. Super enjoyed it. Yeah. And then um, previously, like, let's see, two weeks ago, call, saw a couple shows. I saw Working at Belmont University, which was awesome. They did a great job. And then you're in town at Circle Players, which also was enjoyable. So been seeing shows. Been getting around. True. <laughs> yeah. So what do you got, Sipping? I saw The Wicked at TPAC. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. We, all, arts. we all did in the last yep. couple weeks, didn't we? Yep, yep, yep. I had some thoughts about that what that I can share with it, you later. Oh, oh you uh, yeah, no, there were some really great highlights, and then there were a couple lowlights. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I saw a Sunday night performance. I think everybody was just tired, yeah, frankly. So. Yeah, I had some pitchy pitchiness, but everything else was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am really excited about the production of Cabaret opening and previews in April 24 at the August Wilson Theater. It's got Eddie... Redmayne, my man. Yes. He's reprising his Olivia Award-winning performance as the MC. And Gail Rankin, which I'm embarrassed to say, I don't know Gail. I don't know her either. I'm so glad. That makes me feel a lot less bad than I did. <laughs> She's Sally, of course. Yep. I was also really, really happy to read a glowing review in the New York Times about the revival of Merrily We Roll Along. Yes. You know, it kind of died the death of a thousand pans yep. when it first came out, but... The quote in the New York Times was, Jonathan Groff, supported by Daniel Radcliffe and Lindsay Mendez, is thrillingly fierce in the first convincing revival of the cult flop Sondheim musical. This was like a little backhanded compliment there. But um, yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm also yeah. thrilled by the fact that a film adaptation starring Paul Miscall, Beanie Feldstein, and Ben Platt is in the works, is in development. Yes. Sweet. That's very interesting. By um, director Richard Linklater, I believe, mm-hmm. who did the oh, um, I love Before him. Sunset yeah. series. And, and uh, Boyhood. Boyhood. Yeah, yes. Yes. We were talking about him the other night. Yeah, it. it'll be okay. very Excited. interesting about that. Um, yeah. Who's Paul Mescal? Should I know who that is? Mescal? You should. Okay. Yes, right. he's an um, up-and-coming film star. He's like exploding okay. all over the place right now. Okay. He was in a production of... Um, streetcar named Desire in London mm. a year or so maybe ago mm. um, like broke all sorts of box office records and things um, he's the new it actor with the uh, you know gravitas and the skills to back it up so very cool yeah extremely can't cool. wait to see that yeah I'm so glad though that Merrily We Roll Along is getting its due yeah, yeah. Me too. Reviews, it's yeah. about dang time yep hot take that might be maybe my um, favorite Sondheim score Wow, wow. Yeah. I did not just, know that. A, at least the original recording anyway. It's just, it's thrilling. I, there's an excitement and an intensity and a crackliness about that recording. Um, the performances, it just hit, hits me where I live. We'll Love have to it. talk Love about it. that show sometime. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll have to put that on the list. Yep, so. For sure. 
That sound means we've now come to the part of our show where I present a musical theater quiz for Forrest and Lenny. And, of course, you, our dear listeners at home, I should say dear friends, because, you know, she loves me. Dear friends. To answer with absolutely no preparation whatsoever, please confirm that for me, gentlemen. Have you had any preparation whatsoever? No. Hard no. Not. I've had 20 years of musical theater. <laughs> You're like, actually, yes, I'm very been preparing prepared. my whole life for this, Stephanie. <laughs> All right, the quiz is called There's No Business Like Business in Broadway Shows. <laughs> in okay. honor of the hardworking characters in our featured show this episode, She Loves nice. Me. Can you identify the musical from the name of a business featured in the show? Ooh. Oh. You ready? Okay, Hands try. are over bells and the Sleep Tight Factory. Forest. The pajama game. Indeed. Yeah. Vandergelder's hand feed. Oh, <laughs> a little tiny jam. sad bell. Sad bell. Uh, it's on the court. Lenny. <laughs> Hello, Dolly. That's oh. right. That's right. Hello, Dolly. Sincere trust. Forest. I actually don't know. Oh, Lenny. <laughs> it is a thoroughly modern million. Yeah, uh, I should take a point away it. from I you. I should get a negative one point. <laughs> I'm sorry. Consolidated life insurance. I'll give you a hint. Chuck Baxter is a junior executive there. That was Forrest. Promises, promises. Very good. I wouldn't have known that, though, without the Chuck Baxter hint, I'll be honest. Very good. De La Vega Bodega. <laughs> Lenny. Is that In the Heights? Yes. Oh, nice. oh, I said yes. it too fast, I think. The Bodega. De La Vega Bodega. Nice. The Worldwide Wicked Company. Lenny on the fast one there. How to Succeed. Yes. Oh, good one. Okay, quick story. Um, I was I was music director for How to Succeed in Business without really trying, and I was so proud that I'd gone and gotten a cake for the cast party, and I didn't look at it. I just grabbed it. I was oh, in a no. hurry. I did this big unveiling with the casting crew, and it was misspelled. The word succeed was misspelled. Wow. It was hilarious. Somebody took a covert picture and ended up on cake fails. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so hilarious. Yes. It was hilarious. Anyway, going on. Oh, this is too easy. Mushnick Skid Row Forest. Oh, Lenny. Little Shop of Horrors. That's BG Bigelow Incorporated. You're probably oh. not going to know this one. It's a little I know obscure. this one. I know this yeah. one. The hint is it's about puppet designer Sylvester. Yes. Uh, Flahuli. That's it. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I, I could have done that without the hint, too. Dude, I was, it was coming to me. Okay? It was coming to me. Okay? Yeah. Nice. Give him like nice. three points for that. That's I think Barbara so. Cook. Hey, yes. Barbara Cook. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apex Modes Inc. I don't know. Judy Kuhn mm. is currently playing Mrs. Bogan in the off-Broadway revival. Lyrics by Harold Rome. Lenny. I can get oh, free holes. Yes. Get free holes. No. Very good. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, uh, yes. good one. That's a good that show That's was really the Broadway good. debut of 19-year-old Barbara Streisand. This so true. Yep. Yeah. Interesting show. Garrett and Mellix. Garrett and Mellix. The hint is Liza Minnelli. Lenny. Flora the Red Menace? That's it. Wow. That that's was a guess, too. wasn't it? Totally guess. Guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Two more. That's Joe's obscure. Diner. We already talked about this one. Waitress. Forest waitress, yeah. of course. I love that show so much. The Bourbon Room. Features songs from the 1980s. Lenny. Um... Rock of Ages. That's it. Very good. Oh. Very good. And that concludes our quiz. Nicely done, that gentlemen. That was so fun, Stephanie. That <laughs> that's was some hard ones one. and then some easy ones. That, <laughs> was, that job, was a good yeah. mix there. Floor of the Red Menace, Lenny. Bit by bit, putting it together. And now it's time to focus on one particular show to go in depth with and discuss slash debate slash argue with love. Today, we're going behind the scenes with the musical She Loves Me, with a book by Joe Masteroff, music by Jerry Bach, and lyrics by Sheldon Harnick. Lenny is going to start us off with a synopsis, and then we'll move into some background info from Forrest. So, without further ado, 
Lenny, get us going, kind sir. She Loves Me is the story of George Novak and Amalia Balish, two people who cannot stand each other, working together in a perfume shop in Budapest in the 1930s. They are also, unbeknownst to them, writing letters to each other and falling in love as part of a Lonely Hearts Club. That's the 1930s version of Tinder without profile pics. <laughs> nice. uh, through the letters, they know each other only as dear friend. After months and months of letter writing, they arrange to finally meet in person on a blind date. He'll be wearing a rose in his lapel, and she will be reading Anna Karenina using a rose for a bookmark. So George shows up at the uh, appointed place. He realizes that Amalia is dear friend, um, but because he is not wearing his rose in his lapel, she doesn't realize why he just happened to show up on her date. The whole evening goes uh, badly, uh, spectacularly badly, uh, and ending with Amalia in tears and George trying to reconcile the fact that the woman he loves in his letters is the woman he can't stand in real life. Um, we all know that they're going to end up together by the final curtain, but watching the journey of how they get there is just thrilling and how they see each other finally as you know, fully formed human beings and not just the enemy. Um, and they come to love and respect each other. Doing some personal growth in the process is just a joy and a delight um, and something uh, that we just don't quite see anymore with a, a sweetness that, that doesn't exist, unfortunately, so much anymore. Um, we've got various subplots involving the other employees in the shop. Uh, the owner, Mr. Marichak, who finds out that his marriage has crumbled. We have Ilona Ritter. Uh, she's a really interesting version of the, quote, dumb blonde trope who, through the course of the evening, finds her voice and her self-worth. Uh, we have the dashing cad, Stephen Kodai, who we love to hate. Uh, the bumbling Mr. Seapost, who is desperate to keep his job at any measures, and then the adorable adolescent Arpad, the delivery boy, with dreams of being a salesman. Uh, this is a true ensemble show where everybody gets great material and the chance to shine. It's a real charmer, and I like to describe it as the greatest musical that you've never heard of. Oh, that's good. Nice. Thank you so much. All right, now let's move to Forrest. Give us some background, Forrest. Sure. So She Loves Me was the fourth musical written by the composing team of Bach and Harnick. Jerry Bach wrote the music, and Sheldon Harnick wrote the lyrics. Obviously, the pair's most recognizable work would be Fiddler on the Roof. She Loves Me, one of the lesser-known works. But um, the book writer was Joe Mastroff. Um, he was better known for the musical Cabaret, writing the book for the musical Cabaret. Mm -hmm. But before She Loves Me, he had never written the book for a musical. This was his first one. He had wow. only written plays. Interesting. Um, so very competent, creative team. Mm -hmm. um, they based the musical on the Hungarian play called Perfumery? Am I, I want to That's, make sure I'm yeah. pronouncing it. There's a I lot of accents correct. in there. I was like, hmm, I don't know. About this. Um, you don't speak Hungarian? No, I do not. And later that play was turned into the movie uh, The Shopper on the Corner in 1940. Yes. And so most people agree... And I think in an interview, Joe Mastroff said this, that they based it actually on the movie, The Shop Around the Corner, more than they did on the play, <laughs> which is interesting. Yeah. But um, So Bach and Harnick were coming off uh, just finishing the musical Fiorello, which they won the Tony Award for Best Musical, tied, actually, with which musical, Lenny? Sound of Music. And what musical did they both beat that year? Gypsy. Gypsy. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if... Fiorello and Sound of Music are better than Gypsy. But anyway, beside the point. <laughs> I okay. know. That's another show. <laughs> uh, so that one was popular. The one they wrote, then they, after that, they wrote Tenderloin, which was kind of a flop, not as popular. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, it's not well, not well known. No. Okay. Speaking but of Tender. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, Harold Prince was their producer for uh, both those shows, and they teamed up with him again for She Loves Me. He directed and produced it. 
Uh, it opened on Broadway in 1963. It had Barbara Cook, obviously, in the cast as Amalia. Uh, Daniel Massey, Barbara Baxley, and Jack Cassidy, also in the cast. Um, they were saying when they took it uh, out of town for Trouts, they had to cut about 45 minutes worth of music. Whoa. And said that's how much music they had written I'd for the show. I'd love to get my hands on that. Right. Some of the cut songs from She yeah. Loves Me would be great. Um, but it only ran for 302 performances, which was a disappointment. I think most people um, involved with the production agreed that was disappointing for yeah. it. Um, and then they had a London production after that that only ran for 200 or so. Uh, there was even a planned movie adaptation, though, how Prince was supposed to direct it, supposed to star Julie Andrews, Dick oh Van Dyke. Oh, my God. That would have been amazing. Mary Poppins, Another, too. Like, yeah, yes. they would have gotten together again. What could have wow. been? Yeah, what could have been? I'm so but sad. It is very sad, because that, that would have been great. Oh. Yeah. But So it was technically a flop, right? But the original cast album was beloved by theater nerds, <laughs> uh, such as myself, such as like Lenny. Like us, yeah. And I think it kind of received more attention... Uh, started to catch on more in 1993 with the Roundabout Theater Company um, revival. And then even in 2016, it got uh, even more press with the Roundabout Theater Company reviving it again Mm -hmm. um, with a very uh, popular cast of actors, Laura Benanti, Zachary Levi, um, Gavin Creel, Jane Krakowski, like goes on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> great. So star power, but, um, a great musical. Um, very, like we said, very competent creative team. We're going to see that. I think as we start to analyze it, that is very strong, uh, writing team. So now you've made it this far into the show with us, dear friends, and you're about mm-hmm. to be rewarded with the good stuff. The fun stuff, the stuff we originally started the whole podcast for, the whole shebang. The curtain call segment. I'll give the guys a topic, all in reference to our feature show of the episode, She Loves Me. And then they'll discuss and disagree, and hopefully you'll learn something you didn't know along the way. You ready, guys? Let's do it. She loves me, and to my amazement, I love it, knowing that she loves me. Rank this musical from 1 to 10, worst to best for you personally, and then tell us why you chose that ranking. Who wants to start? Give me a start. You're going to have to do some more. All right, Lenny. (laughs) Uh, For me, this is going to rank a 9. I think it's one of the all-time greats, even if nobody knows it. Um, The score is probably an 8. Some incredible songs, as far as character stuff goes, and, you know, interesting plot songs, things that were maybe a little bit ahead of their time. Um, but then there's also some that just, uh, for me, don't belong or, or are not necessary. It uh, doesn't mean they're bad. They're just, yeah. Mm. Um, but the book, I think, is a 10. It's a masterpiece. Um, and Forrest, I actually didn't know that this was his first book of a musical. I knew he had, didn't write many. Um, but that makes it even more of a 10 in my book. It's yeah. Perfect, I think. Um, everything that needs to be there is there. It's subtle. It's witty. It's heartbreaking. It's it's all the things that it needs to be. Um, and I think it's, I would say, maybe one of the top five greatest books in all musical theater history. Wow. Uh, that's, uh, you know, anecdotal. I can't prove it or I don't, you know, have metrics on that right <laughs> now. But um, one of the best ever. All right. Forrest. I would give it a seven, I think. I really like this musical. I appreciate this musical, but I've never loved it for some reason. It's never been just one that's one of my favorites. I think in my cast album list, it's around number 50 out of 300. So that's pretty high. So uh, top 50, right? Um, Yeah. But 
there's a couple things. I think it's a great book as well, and I think you're right because based on his experience of doing plays, I think he wrote an amazing play, yep. and they uh, were able to make an incredible, incredibly tight show for the most mm-hmm. part with a couple minor missteps, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I can't wait. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see his face. It's full of But yes, yeah, seven. I think it's. I I love the score. I think it's a strong score. Um, with one or two skippable songs, but missteps. Um, overall, very strong score, very fun book, just a very sweet musical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should mention that Lenny is going to be directing this. I'm uh, music ooh. directing it with him, and yes. we're going to rope Forrest in in some capacity. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. His girlfriend is assistant directing yep. uh, for us at Pull Tight Players in Franklin here in Cannot the spring of 24. Wait. Me too. Yeah, come see it. Lenny, favorite, yeah. least favorite moment. Okay, so if you've been here with us these past couple of episodes, you know, I can't just pick one thing. So I'm going to have some, like, minor, minute detail, uh, because the devil's in the details, right? So let me go run through a couple of really quick things. Um, as far as scenes, dialogue scenes go, I've got, um, there's a brief scene between George and Mr. Sipos, his kind of confidant at work that leads into the song Tonight at Eight, where George is telling Sipos that he's meeting dear friend tonight, Sipos tells him that he hopes that the lady in question is as beautiful and wonderful and intelligent as he believes her to be. George says he hopes that she's not <laughs> because if she is all of these wonderful things, what will she think of me, a very Aww. ordinary man who works a very ordinary job in a very ordinary shop? It's this moment of vulnerability that's yeah. written in there that... Um, Leading men in the golden age of Broadway just don't get. It didn't happen a lot, yeah. It's just a lovely, lovely moment that anybody can relate to and sort of sigh along with George before he launches into this incredible song. (laughs) Let's see. uh, George and Amalia have a scene together uh, late in the middle of the second act that leads into the incredible song Vanilla Ice Cream, Mm. where after they've been really nasty to each other the whole show, just fighting and picking and just really kind of hating on each other hard... Um, George has decided to become a really stand-up guy uh, in this and be kind to Amalia just because it is the right thing to do. Uh, and that scene, it's, it's the crux of the entire show. Um, you could take every bit of music out of it and the scene would still be just as impactful um, as it would be in a play. It's, it's just a great, great dialogue scene where two opposing forces kind of come together and and I think I mentioned it earlier just kind of see each other as human rather than the enemy I love, um, I yeah. love it um, lyrically I've got a couple of little things that just spark joy in me every time I hear them um, two tiny moments um, so the in the song Try Me it's a solo for the delivery boy Arpad who's trying to you know move up in the world he's a young uneducated boy <laughs> uh, he's talking about this jar of sour face cream. Um, and he says, it smells like a drowned cat. <laughs> the word drowned just makes me just full of joy and giddiness um, because it is such a specific word and it would be totally inappropriate for any other character to say. But because of Arpad being a juvenile, adolescent, uneducated, drowned, just makes sense for him. And you know that the writers like really had to come up with that word. Yeah. Um, So I just kind of giggle hysterically every time that that comes on. Yes, sir. You wish to return this jar. Madam, certainly right you are. Madam, you say it smells like a drowned cat. It does it that at Marichek's, madam, we claim with pride. And the character Ilona has a similar situation um, in her song, I Resolve. 
She's also an undereducated, illiterate girl, she says. Um, and her, she says, and suddenly I have got to know how come. And most other characters would say I have got to know why. why? But yeah. the how come is just a real specific character thing that makes me just joyful. Never thought it. about that. That's so true. Yeah, it's great. Um, it just shows the genius of these of these writers. A subtle nod to yeah. her background, her education, yeah. her... Yeah, absolutely. Those are my favorites. Um, I'm going to throw it over to you for your well, favorites. No, I, I was just going to can I say, um, yeah. I don't notice a lot of the lyrics but it's a good thing because they're so good they're so natural yeah, yeah, i yeah. think they flow from it steven sondheim talks about rhymes that draw draw attention to the lyricist mm-hmm. and he doesn't like those and mm-hmm. so i think this is one of those scores that it's so natural that i don't pick out a rhyme like that that i'm uh, like but so i think it's a good thing and that's really interesting for you because you're the one i usually do like so on the yeah, yeah. sounds so good on yeah there. yeah so that's, that's a great good a, name, but yeah. high compliment coming mm-hmm. from you compliment. indeed what are your favorite moments or one favorite moment <laughs> I think if I had today my favorite moment, I think it's at the end when they figure out that they love each other by him singing, you know, dear, he starts the song. Isn't that sweet? Yes. And I can't, my, I, I must have weak nerves, but I can't handle dramatic tension. Like if there's something <laughs> drags out throughout the You're whole so thing, empathetic. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's like stressing me out the whole time. And then finally I'm like released, like, oh, okay. And, you know, and they're they're going to work cute. out, right? So, that. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. Yes. I love the opening too. I think it just sets it up really well. But yes. Probably that ending is probably my favorite. You're sitting there with your, you're holding your breath for that whole last scene. Are they going to? Are they not going to? It's a great moment. Truly brilliantly written. I am so sorry about last night. It was a nightmare in every way. But together, you and I will laugh at last night someday. Least favorite moment? Uh, I've uh, got two, of course, imagine. Um, <laughs> one is uh, Stephen Kodai's song, Grand Knowing You. It's his big number. It's unnecessary to me. Um, he needs something there, but I don't know that this song was it. Um, also because it's kind of uncharacteristically mean-spirited. Um, he's a jerk. He's a buffoon. You know, he's this devilish cad, and we're all really happy to see that he gets his comeuppance in the end. But there's not really anything else to me in this show that has the kind of mean spiritedness of this number. So it kind of feels out of place. Hmm. Um, it's not bad. It's just uh, yeah. I I don't mind that song. I do think one of the lyrics is kind of weird. That's one I noticed where he's like, "I'll be seeing your wife by and by." You see those? I'm like, "Oh, jeez." <laughs> Pretty yeah. Hide your kids, hide your wife. This guy, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that song though. I, I like that song. There's a couple songs I think that I don't care for, but that's not one of them. I'm like, oh, big villain number is big bad exit. Yeah, I mean, and everyone just left looking at each other great. like, wow. But I don't know, just something. It is a little mean spirited. To be fair, I filling out my little my little script with this question, I had to really kind of dig because there's nothing that I don't. Because it's a great show. Oh, I, yeah, I did yeah. I so have a very I, least favorite. There's definitely an Adir in the show. Getting, okay. my, getting yeah. my squinty Take eye it glare. Because that's kind oh, of mostly all I have. Okay. Well, probably the brushed over attempted suicide is probably my least favorite moment in the show. But, yeah. And they don't even save it for the Act 1 finale. It's like they have the... Like, oh, what happened? And you don't know what happened, and you go straight to and the romantic atmosphere, yeah. which is a strange song, too. That is a very it. strange so, trajectory. That, that's right. part of the plot that I don't like. Um, but that's my least favorite moment. That when he, he, So the owner, Mr. Mirachek, you hear a gunshot go off, and you hear Arpad, and apparently he saves him. You find out after yeah. the intermission. But it's a dark it's just, moment. It's sad and dark, and it just... I appreciate that it brings some darkness to the show a little bit, but it just seems out of place, doesn't it? 
What do you all think? Do you? Uh... I think it's unexpected for sure. Um, out of place, probably. It probably you know, in 1963, you're sitting there in a light musical comedy. I'm sure it shocked you all to hell. But that's one of the things that I think is um, so genius about the book of this musical is that it doesn't let you sit in comfort of any kind for any length of time. Like, this is a hard left turn, and of course the hardest left turn of the show, of course, but you can be sitting there just like cackling, laughing, and then all of a sudden somebody drops a, a truth bomb in there, or, you know, a, yeah. or, or you're, you're weeping openly with Amalia in the cafe when she is having her heart broken, and then... We'll talk about this later, but then the head waiter will drop in a couple of one-liners and the whole theater erupts in (laughs) laughter. Um, It just doesn't, it keeps you on your toes a little bit for a classic musical comedy where you think you know where you're headed. I like that balance, though. It gives you a little bit of the heavy, a little bit of the light, and a lot of the love. I think that's a nice mix. Absolutely. Uh, Lenny, what's your favorite and least favorite song in the show? Okay, so I think that if your song, your favorite song in the show is not Vanilla Ice Cream, you're living your life wrong. <laughs> just, just my, my saying. It's, it's, it's funny and it's sweet and it's charming and it's oh so human. For the performer uh, playing Amalia, it's infinitely actable. Mm-hmm. So much acting opportunities in there. Um, it's maybe the most joyful, joyous song in the musical theater canon, for me, anyway. That George is not like this George. This is a new George that I don't know. Somehow it all reminds me of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. For right before my eyes, a man that I despise has turned into a man I like. It's almost like a dream. So that it, that's it for me. Um, okay. But if it's not that, and if you are somebody who, you know, like myself, can't feel emotions like joy and bliss, <laughs> uh, you might choose Amalia's Act One closer, Dear Friend, as a totally appropriate answer. It's, it's a little bit bitter. It's a little bit jaded. Um, she's kind of embarrassed. There's pathos, and there's vulnerability, and there's yearning. Uh, it's heartbreaking, but musically, it is just glorious. I make believe. So that's another option for you. And really, anything that comes out of Amalia's mouth through this whole show can be one of your favorite songs. Um, I will have to imagine that Bach and Harnick were just incredibly super inspired by Barbara Cook. Yeah. um, Just to be able to give 
the quality and the quantity of material to the character of Amalia through Barbara Cook. And it's um, so, uh, you know, verging into the classical, yes. verging into light opera, operetta. Yes. I mean, I, it's, it's definitely a, a tough song, a tough role, rather, for... For the typical musical theater soprano, it's yep. it's got a lot. You got to have chops. You got to have the real stuff. You got to have training for that stuff. Yes, it's, it's so well written though. But because you know me, I'm taking a little bit of deep dive. Um, if you don't want a soprano song, I would say that your your favorite song could be "Try Me." Arpads, the Delivery Boys song, desperately trying to improve his it's situation. Cute. It's adorable. Yeah. Um, Good morning, good day. The opening number just kind of perfectly sets up the charming situation that you're in for it. For, um, Introduces most of our main characters. It's just lovely. Uh, the song, kind of midway through Act One, three letters, where the audience realizes that George and Amalia mm-hmm. have been writing to they each other. They figure it out. Yeah, um, it, it does a cool thing. It, it gives you, you know, the central plot point, but it also kind of like moves the plot forward in time in a really interesting way that I don't know that we've seen so much up to that point. How it in goes the through the seasons? Musical theater canon. Yeah, 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 I love that. Uh, it's really kind of cool what it does. And um, also, I, in listening to the various recordings for this podcast, another one just sort of hit me that I hadn't really considered before. It's uh, Goodbye, George, where George has quit his job, and um, the, uh, the shop is full of customers. The customers are telling the shop clerks what they need to buy, what they need to order, while the clerks are speaking to George in like an internal monologue almost, telling him goodbye. Um, it's sort of like a really cinematic song almost. Hmm. Um, and maybe a little bit ahead of its time uh, with how they kind of put it together and how it moves the plot, uh, tells character without um, being explicit about it. I don't know. It's really kind of a cool song. Yeah. So I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, there's a whole other scene going on. And yeah, yeah. Going on underneath. Several it's, realities. It's sublimated. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what, that's what I got. Okay, my favorite, when I first listened to She Loves Me, I was living under a theatrical rock, so I'm in my own little <laughs> bubble listening to this, right? The song, the only song that really registered for me was Dear Friend. Oh. I didn't really, Vanilla Ice Cream, I found out later that I was supposed to like that song, okay? <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, this is really tall. Will, will he like me? I really like it. So oh I think God. those yes. three songs, Dear Friend, which whenever, I've tried many times to make my favorite show tunes list, and Dear Friend always ends up in the top 20 or 30 yeah. somehow. Um, but That's then, uh, Will He Like Me? And yes, you're right, all Amalia songs. Yeah. Okay. What about I Don't Know His Name, that duet <sighs> with... Her and Alone. Yeah, that's a great song. A really it's cute one. Very Try cool. Me. And then yeah. we have mentioned A Trip to the Library. What a great, <laughs> what a great yeah. 11 yeah. o'clock number. Like, it's not expected from that character to have that character I'm art. I'm glad and they yeah. gave her that. It's a, it is song. a good one for her. It is a very that's cool a good, song. like, one off story song, you know? Yeah. A trip to the library has made a new girl of me. For suddenly I can see. The magic of books. Love it. Takes a great performer to pull that off. Yeah, to, to keep your right. audience's Not attention. Not be boring, so exactly. Yeah, yeah. But great song nonetheless. <sighs> so good. All right, who wants to tell us their least favorite song? I will. Um, uh, there's two. Imagine um, if you're listening to the 1963 original recording, it is Tango Tragique. Mm-hmm. Any other recording, it is um, Mr. Novak. Will you please? It happens in the cafe, um, and they just don't fit somehow to me. Um, so with Tango Tragique, they are George and Amalia are in the cafe. They're talking. He knows that she's dear friend. She doesn't know, um, and he's sort of like baiting her a little bit. Um, and he stops the sh- 
plot of the show for like four minutes to tell Amalia in song about the perils of a girl he once knew who went on a blind date and then she died. It's bizarre. Um, and the Mr. Novak, will you please in the later recordings, um, kind of took the place of that song. The tango tragic got cut or turned into an underscore situation, but it's in the same moment. And Amalia is trying to get George to leave the cafe and leave her alone. And he's still kind of baiting her. And it's this weird song that kind of doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't really serve a purpose. So it's a little disjointed to me. Um, and I think it's just kind of not fully fleshed out because they picked a moment to musicalize that didn't need to sing. Hmm. So for me, that just uh, doesn't really do much. A little forced. It is quite forced. Um, and then it, it, the later version, the Mr. Novak, Will You Please, it just sort of stops. There's no like, you know, button at the end or it, a, an appropriate place to stop. It just sort of trails off and dies. It's really weird. Um, and this might be a hot take for some of the people out there who enjoy, you know, comedy numbers, but where's my shoe? I can't with that number. I like that one. I like that, I like I that song too. Yeah, I like that song. You don't it's, like it? I don't. It's another situation where um, the moment doesn't need to be sung about. So what is happening here for anybody who's not familiar with the show, uh, af- the next morning after the date that goes spectacularly bad, Amalia is sick or in sick quotes, quotes, sick, yeah. and is called out of work due to being distraught about the whole thing. Uh, George, who is feeling hella guilty about it, as he should, as he should goes to check on her and brings her some ice cream. And it's a truly excellent book scene, which we've already talked about. But in the middle of it, Amalia's like, screw you, George. You're not going to get the best of me. I'm coming to work after all. I'm going to get dressed. Where are my shoes? And then she sings about it. Ad nauseum, like ad forever. It bothers me. It's cute. It's fun. And it just should have been shorter. Maybe. It should have been shorter. Uh, and But then I had a thought today. Maybe they were giving, at this point, this is like kind of midway-ish through Act 2. She needed another song. Amalia has not sung yeah. probably for 30 minutes, mm-hmm. so I maybe they're giving her something to warm up. I think there's something to, to that. To sing Vanilla Ice Cream yeah. five minutes later. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I can see for this song I can get behind exist. that. that that's good. But that's what I got. I don't. It like is it. cute though. I, I like that cute, song. Yeah, it's but fun. It, it's not it's necessary. like she's so manic, and it shows in the music. Where's my other shoe? Right. But as I said, that. like you're, I'm pulling to find things that I don't love about this show. Yeah. So you know, this is maybe a seven, where everything else is a nine and a half. Gotcha. So there we go. Gotcha. Forest. Okay, if I had to pick, this might go along with my least favorite moment. I don't like what happens in the restaurant with <gasps> the waiter, and that I don't. I don't get it. Romantic atmosphere. I know it's a funny lyric, but to me, I'm like, what are we doing here? I had to wonder if he was somebody's cousin or nephew that just needed that. Needed a song. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. He's giving us bug eyes here. You don't like it? (laughs) Horrified. You like that? Tell me more. Well, I like it's a it's a funny song, but it just doesn't it doesn't fit. And it's right after like it goes back. It's right after the attempted suicide. We go into romantic atmosphere. I don't know. I just don't. I've never liked that they focus on the waiters in that scene. I'm like, why don't you focus on the people that are there? It's just bringing in unnecessary characters. Yeah, yeah, I just don't appreciate that. Do you Do you like it? What do you like? I about love it? it. Really? Yes. <laughs> I love it. I no, I absolutely love it. I, um, well, maybe we're needing a lighthearted moment after the maybe. suicide. I mean, I am after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, give the leads a break for a minute. It's also a yeah. musical comedy. We need a dance number somewhere. Because there is no it's other like dance in this show, Hello really. Hello, Dolly, you know, in the... Well, but, the waiters. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I just think it's moments of levity Get the, and getting them out of the shop, getting them to the date, which is the crux of the whole show. Maybe. I don't know. Do you think this was in... Now it couldn't have been in front of the curtain. I was wondering in the original production, was there something going on so they could change They were setting sets, something up behind the curtain. They can't because no, be, it would be the restaurant, right? This is the the big thing that they would have been setting up for with the yeah. big set change. So mm-hmm. no, I would I know in 2016 so. they, did, they did do it in front of the curtain, did they? Mm-hmm. The 2016 yeah. one? No, that whole no? set did a crazy revolve shift. That's oh, crazy. Do we need to talk about the curtain right I think we need to appreciate the, the 2016 set, right? Oh, it was amazing. Oh, it was so gorgeous. That... So well, I think I text you that it never gets old watching. Yes. No, it's that. gorgeous. Every single thing on that Beautiful. stage is gorgeous. Wait, but I have another least favorite song. Yes, yes. Um, Perspective that Sipo sings. Yeah. That song, I'm like, <laughs> womp, womp. the whole, I feel like the whole show they're showing us, not telling us that one. I'm like, you told me a little bit too much. Okay. That one, I just. Melodically, it's kind of all over the place too. I was just sure. listening to that one. Yeah. It's just like, just like, let's fill in some notes here. <laughs> and he wanders all over yeah. that chord structure. Yeah. And I'm just like, mm, yeah, not my favorite. It's not my favorite. He needed something. Though. I guess yes. in a song because all the main characters do get a song, which yes. I appreciate. But yeah. that song, yeah, didn't need it. I'll agree with you on that fully. I am only one of several in a rather small perfumery, which is only one of several in this city, which is one of many cities in this country, which is only one of many countries. Which are on this continent, which is only one of seven on this not-so-special planet, which is one of several in our solar system, which is only one of many solar systems in this vast and inconceivable affair that is the universe. So in this... All right, favorite characters, and if you feel like it, throw in your favorite actor to have portrayed the role, and you're up. Okay, so um, clearly the obvious answer is George and Amalia. Duh! They are both so well-written, amazing material to perform. They're so human, so real. Being a performer myself, George is one of those bucket list roles, or was. I think I'm past it now, but just to, his material is excellent. Um, we've not even mentioned Tonight at Eight, yeah. uh, which is a great like patter comedy song leading into the, or just him singing about the date. And he's got the title song, She Loves Me, which is just as joyful and exuberant as Amalia's Vanilla Ice Cream. Indeed. It would be just a dream to perform for any actor. Um, but, so my favorite to have played Amalia... Um, is Kelly O'Hara, who has never played it in like a real full production that I could find, Hmm. but she did a one-night-only benefit concert reading for the Roundabout Theater. How cool. Yeah, um, it was not recorded, but if you you look around on the YouTubes, you might be able to find it, and I would recommend looking around on the YouTubes to find it, because it is... She is spectacular, just brilliant. Um, I can hear that. I can hear her in my head right now doing that. That's a great great part for her. Unbelievable. Um, My favorite Amalia that never was or never has been yet uh, is Sierra Bogus, who was the original Little Mermaid in uh, The Little Mermaid. On Broadway, she played Phantom many, many times. Um, Christine in Phantom. Andrew Lloyd Webber's favorite Phantom, apparently. Over his wife, Sarah? Dang, that's a burn right there. Her voice is is amazing. She's got a really quirky, weird 
happy, odd persona just in her life that I think would transfer really well to the character of Amalia. Um, so I would love to see her play it one day. Let's see if she'll audition for us. I oh, think so we can make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll write her on the Twitter. Um, and I'm going to give you one out of left field here that I would have loved to have seen played Amalia at one point um, in the golden age when this was when the show was being written. Um, and that is Florence Henderson. Mrs. Mrs. Brady, Brady Carol Brady. Yeah. Brady Bunch. Uh, yeah, she was a, for anybody who doesn't know, she was a Broadway soprano I back no in the idea. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly good voice. Um, she uh, toured with The Sound of Music. Um, she did a lot of Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff. Um, she originated a role. I can't remember. Song what of she Norway did. is the only really? one that's in my mind, okay. but I'm sure there's a, several yeah. other. A Fanny. Fanny, Fanny, yep. Yeah, obscure as well, but just glorious soprano as well. um, I would have loved to have heard that score in her voice. Other, you know, than the two obvious choices, Arpad. I love mm-hmm. everything that he does. He's just adorable. I think the stage direction says he is fourteen and adorable, Aww. and it's absolutely accurate. He's um, he's just this uh, juvenile, adolescent, teenage boy, like all teenage boys. He's trying to prove himself and and like uh, you know, yes, I am capable. As I'm making all these weird mistakes and saying all these odd things, he doesn't know he's funny, but he's hysterical. He's uh, he, he eager beaver a little bit, and he's just precious. Um, the audience falls in love with him, and I, I would say that my other favorite character is the head waiter. Oh, but I don't. Oh. I, uh, it's a brilliantly written, tiny little role. He's got like fifteen minutes of stage time. Yeah. He comes in, he sings a song, he drops a couple of hysterical one-liners, and he's out for another hour and a half smoke break backstage. <laughs> it's a great role, and I, I we're gonna have to talk about this okay. further. I don't understand what you don't love about this. Um, but that's that's what I got. Those are my favorites. All right, Forrest, favorite character and favorite actor to portray the role, if you want. I think the women really shine in the show, so I'd say Amalia or Lona. I almost put George. George kind of irks me in the middle of the show, though. He's kind of turns into a cat a little bit. So you have to have a very good actor, a likable actor like Zachary Levi. Yes. Um, to play him so you don't and actually dislike him. So Lose the sympathy of the audience. Yeah. Yeah, with him. Mm-hmm. So that, for that reason, I left him off my... But I, I'll focus on Alona since you didn't mention Alona. I love Alona's character arc, you know? Because mm. it's not typical dumb blonde. They don't write anything in the show to judge her necessarily or necessarily demean her besides the fact that she knows she needs to make better choices <laughs> with as far as like she needs to focus on a man for something other than just he's there yes. and talking to her right <laughs> so <laughs> and she tries to change herself I love that song I Resolve too yes. we haven't mentioned that I Resolve yes. is a great song and then to watch um, in the 2016 version um, is it it's in Alona the song Alona Gavin 
Creole's literally dragging Jane I mean, across the splits. stage in the splits. I'm like, that. Oh. It's amazing. She brought such a great energy, such like a little bit of sensuality, but also a little bit of innocence, you know, and just and a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, she was great in that role. And Barbara Baxley, I haven't seen, I don't know if there's a bootleg of the original, I haven't seen it, but her voice on the original cast ring, I love a good, like, scratchy alto <laughs> voice, a unique voice, like a Carol Channing. I think yeah. Barbara Baxley, I don't know if she's been anything else, but she has that very unique style voice. I always say, like, let me know you're here. Let me know it's you, okay? And Barbara Baxley, she lets me know. Yeah, be unique, absolutely. I resolve not to be so stupid. I resolve not to play these games. How often I've been a sitting duck for Cupid. How often I've let him shoot me down in flames. Well, what would you guys change about the show? Forrest, you want to go ahead and take that one? Sure. Um, there are a couple of very, like this one, usually when I think about a show, I don't have things I would change. Um, but this one, I think, oh, Lenny knows this about me. I hate a show that's scattered time-wise. Mm. I want to cut the timeline a little. We're either going to make this a Christmas show or not a Christmas show. <laughs> I want this show to take place in three days, okay? I want to do three days. I want to cut that uh, They want to show the development of the relationship. They want it to be a Christmas. little more realistic. I guess, but uh, no, I want three days, okay? Give me that. I'll probably cut some of the restaurant nonsense. We're going to cut it down a little bit, unfortunately. Um, and I think, like I said, you either lean into making this a Christmas show or take Christmas out of it, okay? And if you make it a Christmas show, maybe we soften up the suicide attempt. Um, our theater, you know, they didn't want to do it at Christmas because of that reason. That was one of the reasons we decided to make it not a Christmas show because that was a little depressing, you know? Yeah, it's dark. So, a little dark. But then it has Christmas in it, so it's like, oh, but it should be Christmas time, right? So, if we could tighten up that timeline. Another thing, other pop point that doesn't make sense we haven't talked about is the whole, like, Mr. Marichek hiring a private investigator to... and follow George and figure out who his wife is cheating on him with. Turns out to be Kodai. I think you could tighten that up by making Mrs. Marichek a character, having Kodai Mm. be seen with her, take out the private investigator. So just some little things like that, I think, would make the show better. Because I think the private investigator thing is a little weird, and it's a little convoluted. I think I found myself being like, wait a minute. Because I'd only listened to the score before I, you know, watched, and I was like, I don't know, all this weird stuff was in here, but... So that's what I would change. All right. That's interesting. I will probably agree with you on Mm -hmm. the private investigator thing. That is a little um, convoluted, I think, is the word you used. Uh, That could definitely be tightened up a bit. Um, What happens is that Sipos writes a letter, an anonymous letter to Mr. Marichek. Lots of anonymous letters going on. (laughs) Yeah. Writes an anonymous letter to Mr. Marichek saying, your wife is being seen with this other guy, one of your employees. And so Mr. Marichek thinks it's George, which is why he gets so angry at George and which he fires George. And then the suicide attempt happens. And then beginning of Act 2, he and George make up in another little beautiful snippet of a dialogue scene. So I do think it is important to keep the suicide attempt to maybe soften it a little bit. Something would be great. But um, And it's only very later in the show, maybe the last, what, 10, 15 Mm -hmm. minutes that we find out that Mr. Seapost did it. And it's just sort of brushed over. So maybe either tighten it up, cut it entirely, or make it a uh, bigger deal. Make it a bigger, like have show Seapost writing the letter and saying, oh, I'm sure this will make everything right, right? Um, And I I think I have this in my notes somewhere else later, but why he does this um, is because it's it's very subtle that they, they do this whole, like, the economic 
situation of Budapest in the 1930s. They put little hints in there about it, that everybody's so desperate to keep their job, and um, Ilona is so desperate to find a man so she doesn't have to work anymore, and uh, there's a lot of little... Um, economic hints. Economic hints mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sipo uh, says the, the shop is, business is so poor in the shop that somebody's going to end up losing their job, and I don't want it to be me who doesn't deserve to be fired, so let's make it him who does deserve to be fired, which is why he writes the letter. He says it's just a minor thing that they should make a bigger deal out of, I think. But realistically, other than that, I wouldn't change anything. Um, I thought and thought and thought about it, and I kind of can't find anything to change because it is so tight because it is so interwoven the songs and the book and all of it that if you start moving or deleting changing everything kind of crumbles which i think is a hallmark of just an incredibly tight show it's jangled so yeah it really is absolutely. so i wouldn't change it don't mess with perfection what would you um, think would make it difficult to produce for a community theater? <laughs> kind of an important question yeah, for us right I'm now. I'm living tell in us. that question. Tell us what you think. <laughs> the, the set. Jinx. The set. <laughs> yeah. I said this. I said finding a good Amalia is probably That's my number two thing. thing. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Mm, so that's, that's, that's what important. I was thinking. I didn't yeah. think of anything else. Did you think of anything else would make um, it difficult to I did. Um, just sort of a last minute thing that I thought of. And maybe it's something not to worry about, but... Um, the tone and the charm and the sweetness and the like delicacy of the show, I'm wondering if that's going to be difficult to achieve because there is nothing like modern, contemporary in it um, as far as attitudes go. Like So a lot of the snarkiness that we just do in real life right now, I'm wondering if it will be difficult to keep that out of the show where it should be out of the show. Yeah, sarcasm free for sure. Yeah, Cynic, very much. Cynical free, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the set is the biggest thing, in my opinion. I mean, that set just is ridiculous. Well, how about finding some really good, tight, close harmony singers? Yes. I mean, that's going to be yes. that's going to be real interesting. That's going to be a lot of rehearsals. Christmas. Yeah, that's yeah. not easy stuff to do. That's to keep true. those super tight harmonies. Yes. What about? Do you worry that the show doesn't have enough ra- name recognition? Is that a worry? Do you think people know it enough, or people will go see it? Because whatever I. I've talked to someone about the show. I'm like, oh, it's you've got mail, you know. But mm-hmm. in the 1960s, it was music. With the live stream, you know, it was the first Broadway show That's to be true. live streamed yeah. in 2016. Which so I feel like it really maybe it's raised popularity. Yeah, mm-hmm. it raised its profile quite a bit. Sure. I'm hopeful that we won't. I yeah. We're gonna have trouble with audiences. I don't think so. Um, I hope not. But those who do come will just find a, a special it. treat mm-hmm. that they didn't know that they needed, I so think. True. Speaking of that broadcast, actually, mm-hmm. how do you guys feel about that one? That's It's available, by the way, on currently, anyway, Broadway HD streaming service. And our mutual friend Jennifer was actually present at the taping uh, of. You can yes. see her briefly. She stands up that's during the intermission. That's an urban legend. No, it really is. She said it's there. I, I haven't gotten to myself. I'm she's not Jennifer. Her. She listening. promised. She's a truth teller. Yeah, I know she, she would if say. If you're listening, Jennifer, I want proof. Okay, I want to see the ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen pictures of her and her daughter with Zachary Levi. At the oh, there, okay, you okay. there you go. Okay. That's what Jennifer and I bonded over, the fact that she <laughs> saw it and I said, I hate you so much. <laughs> and you're friends forever. Yes. And now you're friends forever. Yes. Right? <laughs> Did you guys like the that performance oh yeah I thought it was great um, the best part was probably the charisma of the lead performers I Laura. think they really mm-hmm. sold that material especially Zachary Levi who kind of yes. I mean he had been was first date before that yes. which I haven't listened to I, I just know he was in first date yep, that was his first but um, just a, such a very likable guy you know mm-hmm. to be on stage and he carries you through that character arc of him kind of being a little bit of a punk but you still love him <laughs> and then Laura Benanti great role I think for her a great way for her to 
advance herself as an actor and a singer. I think it was a great role for I her to take I don't love on. her voice. She has kind of a goat tremolo vibrato that I, I don't, don't enjoy very honest, much. But not her a, acting is amazing, so it kind of overcomes it for I me. I agree. She would not be in my like top ten Same. Sopranos, okay? But which we might which we might get to later. But Spoiler we love right you, Laura. Um, but I, love, I, I do love her. She's so hilarious, too. But her voice it has like a tinny quality. Do, do you understand Frontal, what I'm saying? Frontal, nasal, yeah. and a really fast vibrato. It, yeah. Very tinny quality. Not necessarily amazingly pleasing list too but still very nice she hits the notes you know oh sure what do you think Lenny I was gonna save a lot of my comments about her for later when we talk about the recordings but since right. we're here um I uh, love her um I have loved her from the beginning I saw her uh in the 2002 revival of Into the Woods in which she played mm. Cinderella I remember coming back and telling my friend who I had done Into the Woods with who played Cinderella there's this new girl she's like <laughs> 21 oh. and she's amazing and she puts the original Cinderella Kim Crosby to shame oh. she's amazing and I've loved her in everything she's done up until this um and then everything since then this and my fair lady uh something has is different about her voice. Uh, the quality is good. But what I hear, um, I hear Laura Benanti's technique singing Amalia, not Laura Benanti herself singing Amalia. I know. Um, As we age, our chords ossify, they turn to bone, and, and our voices really change about mid-30s. Things really change. Is that what us. it is? How old was she when she... She's like the same age as me, so 2016, she's 36, 37, yeah, maybe. That's, it's probably a big change going on um, for her. What it felt like to me watching her and listening to it is, I don't know how to say this without hopefully sounding terrible, but you know, you watch uh, an opera singer who's French or Italian, whatever, sing something in English, they like learn it phonetically, mm-hmm. and the words just aren't. Natural. Natural. That's what it felt like watching her, which is so sad because, you know, she did um, you know, Into the Woods and she did The Wedding Singer as the lead and uh, Claudia in Nine. Nine. Amazing. Um, just her this candela role, though, and Gypsy. It, just the, it, it requires a lot of classical technique. She probably does. got a million coaching sessions and is really heavily classically in tune with, yeah. okay, I have to do this to place this certain thing there. And that can take away some of the naturalness. And you, when you hear Kelly O'Hara do it on that one night mm, recording, it's, it's night and day yeah. or any of the most of the other Amalia's that we're going to talk about on recordings here in a few minutes. That's too bad. It just takes away. Mm. But you've got Gavin Creel, who, in my oh, opinion, yeah, is one of the you. greatest male voices ever Beautiful on the stage. Velvet tones. Duh, oh my stop. goodness, gorgeous. And Jane just like camping it up, having a ball. Jane Krakowski. Um, the cast is great, um, but there are some weird like directorial choices that happened, I think. Some weird acting choices that were allowed to slide through that kind of modernize it, like what we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a moment in the song Alona that they do the you know Titanic on the front of the boat pose. It's <laughs> That's like, right. come on, <laughs> it's a cheap that. laugh. It's not okay yeah. um, for me. But ultimately, like we don't deserve this preservation of this show. I'm so like, glad we've done nothing recorded. to deserve this. Yeah. <laughs> We're too fortunate. I'm it, so glad it was recorded. It kind yeah, of agreed. pulled the show from fading into obscurity eventually. Sure. It will preserve yeah. it for all time. Like take note other shows if you want your production to go on, maybe do a pro show. I know it's difficult. There's a lot of yeah. things to work out with. You can't just put on a pro shoot, but I think producers should take note if you want your Carrie show to Underwood live on. Sound of music. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, well, <laughs> That that's just a that's different. You mentioned that it just made me speechless. Okay, <laughs> like although Laura Benanti was in that and was that's spectacular yep. as the Baroness, she was the best part. She was. 
Um, but it is difficult to do with Broadway yes. companies, but they figured out how to do it in the West End yes. and other mm-hmm. London areas. Hopefully we'll see more so of it. So maybe yeah, U.S. Can producers hope. can Fingers figure crossed. it out. Absolutely. Desert Island Discs. We'll discuss the major recordings of the show, and then Lenny and Forrest will each choose one of the available cast recordings to listen to for the rest of their hungry, lonely, <laughs> miserable days on a desert island, where they apparently have the means to play recordings somehow. So Don't let's question t- it. Don't question it. Just go along. So let's take a minute now. We'll discuss the major recordings. We'll you know, bring up the recording, then the guys will comment, and we'll go on to the next recording. We've got four that we would love. Oh, sorry, five, really, that we'd like to cover today. There were quite a few of this show. Yep. I was surprised to find that many when I went looking. I had no mm-hmm. idea. That's true. Let's address first the original 1963 cast album with... <gasps> Barbara Cook, Stop, Daniel Barbara Massey, Cook. and yet another Barbara, Barbara Baxley. Lynn, you want to go first? Yes, I will go first. Um, my opinion is that Barbara Cook's Amalia is the only reason to listen to this recording. She she is absolutely remarkable. She shines in incandescent ways. I don't know. Um, it's a brilliant performance, and if this show had not opened in 1963-64 in the same season as Funny Girl and Hello Dolly, she would have been like the shining star to come mm. out of that season. But unfortunately, here we are. But her performance is just legendary in this show with this music. But the tempos are funerally slow, oh dear. if that's a word. Um the supporting cast, in my opinion, are various degrees of fine, <laughs> and it kind of sounds like it's been recorded in a tin can, and uh, it's not one that I will revisit other than to hear Barbara Cook sing Vanilla Ice Cream every now and then. Okay. Forrest, the I 1963, agree. same? Yeah. Um I'm glad you put that in, into words, because I think I had the same thoughts, but probably less uh, clear than that. I do like Barbara, Barbara Baxley on there, like her gravel tone. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that. I appreciate yes. that in all of her songs. I think it's very unique. But like Jack Cassidy and the role of Kodai, like you totally forget what it doesn't sound anything like it should be. Like the grand knowing you doesn't sound like a showstopper at all, does it? He won was a he Tony for that performance. What? No, Jack Cassidy was Kodai, and he won a Tony for that performance. He won a Tony? You had, he did. Fair enough. Hey, it's the Cassidy name, I think. Okay. So yeah. did. okay. It was a different um, time, too. Yeah. So true. But yes, Barbara Cook, the main reason to listen to this recording. Yes. I do find this one a little boring. It was the first one I listened to, and I had only listened to that one for a while, and so maybe that's why I didn't get the show. Maybe that's why I was like, totally uh, be, yeah. Because yeah. I just did not enjoy it. It was kind of a slog to get through this recording at times when I first listened to it. A lot of mediocre moments. I, I agree, totally. How about the 64 West End cast album, which had, oh, Rita Moreno as Alona. <laughs> I mean, that sounds amazing. I have yes. not listened to this one, but that Rita Moreno, that would probably be the reason to listen to this, don't you think? Yeah, I, I can't comment on this one also. Um, it is a rarity. It is not It's a rare one, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah can't, it's not on YouTube. You, you to the, can't find it shame. easily. Um, I did find a copy of the CD for a remarkably cheap price. Like, they were going for, like, 50 bucks, 100 bucks on eBay and Amazon, and I found it for, like... Seven. Nice. So I snatched it up and I had it shipped to me, and then I, <laughs> I realized that I didn't have anything on which to play it. Oh my god! Any longer. <laughs> so wow. it's, it's been sitting there unplayed. I'm gonna buy that. For That's you. Okay. just sad. <laughs> so I could have. Lo- I have a CD player that's I can, collected. I can, load I can loan it. To, it to I'll you. load it onto my laptop and send you the. Uh, maybe I'll yeah. let you do that. Like it, I, I didn't realize how. F- 
far technology had gone and I didn't realize it, it was the times they haven't funny. changed I'll give you seven dollars for it um, great <laughs> so maybe we'll like have a have a an addendum party. for next yeah, next episode like hey by I the way like we that. finally listened to this but I would love to hear Rita Moreno's take on it. All right, how about the 93 Broadway recording starring Boyd Gaines, Diane Fratantoni as Amalia, and Sally Mays as Alona? What do you think, Forrest? I listened to that one for the first time a couple months ago to kind of get myself back into the score to get a fresh take on it. I really enjoyed it. I did think it was Judy Kuhn playing Amalia. I made that mistake. It was that last episode, was, the first yeah, episode yeah, yeah. Um, where I thought, but I went back and looked, um, and it was not her. It was, she was there before Broadway, right before they transferred to Broadway. Oh. I think or she, did she, she was opened it the other way Broadway, okay. and then they, I think they may have extended the run or uh-huh. something, but she was already committed to doing Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, so mm. she had left the show mm. by the time the recording was made. So they what a shame. Yeah, Other I would have loved to have heard, heard Judy do that. Same. I I like this recording though. I think it has the right energy. I think the tempos are sped up a little, and it does it gives it a good flow. Uh, Boyd Gaines, who I normally I think he won, did he win a Tony for this? Um, he's won several. I, I normally don't like him. I normally he's like the mayonnaise and the mayonnaise sandwich, you know, <laughs> but like in most of the roles he plays, like <laughs> never that, heard that. That nineteen ninety five company, yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he totally disappeared, and like two thousand eight Gypsy. Those uh-huh. are two things I think I know him from. Yep, but um, just never really makes an impression on me. And he didn't really in this album, but he didn't take away. I thought he was a mature, maybe too mature, of a George, you know. And uh, Diane Frantanoni. Frantantoni, I Frantantoni. think. Frantantoni. Is she is have. lovely. I love her voice, and I love the minor characters in this one as well. So, a very good recording. All right, Lenny. I think it's an excellent recording with an excellent cast. It is spectacularly well sung all the way through. Um, there are two uh, f- really f- fun, like, Easter egg moments uh, that I want to speak about specifically in Good Morning, Good Day, the opening number. Um, listen for. There's an unscripted line uh-huh. that Arpad says. Um, it's so funny. The, I, I think the exchange of the dialogue is Alona says, uh, Arpad, why aren't you old enough to marry me and take me away from all this? Arpad says, I am old enough. Mrs. Horvath always said I'd get to be 35 before, before you, you ever would. Yeah. And c kind of like hush, shushes him and he says, what? <laughs> and it's adorable and precious. I um, love that. I don't That's think it's cute. in the script. I think it's, it's an ad lib. It's adorable. That is adorable. I um, love that. My other very, very favorite moment on this recording is <laughs> the very beginning of Days Gone By, sung by Mr. Marichek. Um, his first line of dialogue on that track starts with George, but it sounds like a donkey. George! <laughs> Large. It's hysterical. It makes me like cackle every nice. time I hear it. Listen for that. Um, I have a couple of quibbles with this recording, though. There are two omissions. Uh, one leading into Amalia and Alona's song. I don't know his name. Uh, Amalia says, "Tell me," or Alona says, "Tell me all about him. I love to suffer." And the "I love to suffer" line is cut on this recording. And it's a great character thing. I wonder why they cut it. Um, and then. My one of my least favorite songs in general, Mr. Novak, Will You Please, is cut, which is fine, but just yeah, they didn't do the tango or that song, correct? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but the an almost unforgivable sin with this recording, and I don't know how it is on CD because we've established I don't have a CD player, but on Spotify, when you stream it, you get to Where's My Shoe, and they sing it, they sing it, they sing it, and then there's like a you know, three second pause, and on the same track as Where's My Shoe, she starts singing Vanilla Ice Cream. The opening, the um, I am so sorry about yeah. last night, it's there. And the track doesn't move forward How to weird. the second track until she starts, ice cream, he brought me ice. So you can't listen to 
just vanilla ice cream all on one Crazy. track. It's very weird. And I don't know how it is on the CD. They may have maybe you okay I don't know because with that recording, I've only listened to it all the way through. So I'll have to check that out. Please check that out and let me know because I'm kind of dying to find out. But that's almost an unforgivable sin in yeah. the mastering or the whatever that's of this. That's a huge mistake. It Producing is. editing mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fun bit of trivia on this, though. Um, delightful when I found out. Uh, our pad on this 93 recording is played by a, an actor called Brad Kane, and the head waiter is uh, played by an actor called Jonathan Freeman. They were both in the Disney film Aladdin. Brad Kane was Aladdin, Jonathan Freeman was Jafar oh, in like 91, wow. 92, and then here they are a year later she in loves She Loves Me. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but ultimately, all that to say, it's an excellent recording. Okay, great. Did you guys get a chance to listen to the 94 London cast I think Lenny with did, right? Ruthie yes. Henshaw? Lenny did. Yeah, um, I've listened to this one. Uh, I, I re-listened to it um, recently, but I've known it for quite some time. This is a British cast doing American accents <laughs> with varying degrees of success. <laughs> but if you can get past that, this is a hella well-acted recording. If slightly less well-sung than the 93. Mm. Um it's a trade-off. Uh, Ruthie Henschel is... Are you guys familiar with her? Nope. No. Oh, my gosh. Do your homework now and become familiar with Ruthie <laughs> okay. Henschel. She is spectacular. I, I first became familiar with her in the um, 10th anniversary concert of Les Mis mm. that was on PBS and the recording with uh, Leia Salongo was on it. Yeah. Ruthie Henschel was Fontaine. Knocked it out of the park. Um, she's kind of like royalty on the West End theater scene. Uh, she's great. Absolutely great. She's spectacular here. She's like kind of lit from within almost on this like light shining through the recording mm. um she's at the height of her vocal powers listen to the way she pronounces her r's on this recording it like she's trying really hard to americanize it or something i don't know if it's that or if it's just some people hit their r's differently or but it does something magical in my ears when Ooh. she does r's it's it's great i love it um her will he like me the acting is heartbreaking um, and so natural, so perfect. Um, she even makes me like Where's My Shoe? <laughs> <laughs> because she's Good. manic to the nth degree. She's incredible. Ilona, played by Tracy Bennett, who is a star of West End Theater. She's currently in New York in the ensemble of um, the final Sondheim show, Here We Are. Mm -hmm. uh, she's playing Ilona, and it's kind of like what you're describing with Barbara Baxley. It's a big, growly, gravelly performance. She's swinging for the fences, but you love it or you don't love it. She's doing something. She's making a choice. Um, the gentleman playing George, uh, John Sinclair Gordon, something like that. He, uh, is like delightfully dorky. It just <laughs> the recording works beautifully well. All right. You've convinced me. I'm going to go out I, and listen to that one. That absolutely. Great. Listen to it. It's, it's fun. Well, finally, of course the 2016, but we've kind of already covered the 2016 broadcast yeah. recording. You guys have any final thoughts on that one? I'd just say Zachary Levi, not like a trained singer probably, but he's very likable. And even on the recording, you can just, you follow a song, you're like, yeah, I like, I like that guy. Yeah, yeah he's pleasing to the Gavin Creel's great to yes. hear on any oh, recording. Any yes. recording. Laura Benanti, we discussed, not the tone, just not what we wanted to hear mm -hmm. for that role, right? Indeed. 
Um, I, I'll agree with everything you said. Uh, Zachary Levi is the MVP there for sure. Um, he has, you know, a, a Jimmy Stewart quality about him. <laughs> Did you guys ever so see him true. in Chuck? He was in this TV show called no, Chuck. No, it was great. Really? That same delightful, you know, yeah, happy-go-lucky, yeah. and that totally comes through in this recording. He's great. Well, I, my first inter- interaction to with him or introduction to him was uh, Flynn Rider in Disney's oh, Tangled yeah. film. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, great in that, great in this. Uh, you just can't help but like the guy. And yes, Gavin Creel, and yes, all the things. Um, I will also mention... The head waiter, played by Peter Bartlett, is the gentleman's name, uh, kind of reinvented the way that the head waiter is played. He um, plays it very uh, whiny and world-weary and hapless, <laughs> as opposed to everybody else you've heard come before him is very pompous and powerful. So uh, uh, it's a great reinvention of something we thought we already knew. But otherwise, we I think we've covered that recording pretty well. Well, Lenny, which one would you pick of those recordings? Which one would you pick to listen to for the rest of your life? 93. That was a pretty was easy choice. Um, right. Yeah, it's just, it's almost perfect. As perfect as we could possibly hope for, despite that major flaw with vanilla ice cream. Yeah, the editing issue. Forrest, what yep. about you? Um, I feel like I'm Goldilocks. So the 1996 three one is a little boring. The 2016 <laughs> one's a little too fizzy, a little too much. The 1993 one is just right. Yeah. Uh, Which is surprising. Yeah, we do agree. I know. I hate it. But, um, <laughs> uh, Stop it. It's surprising because normally the one I like is the first one I listen to. That's true with almost any show, Same. you know. Yeah. But this one, it really did. The 1993 one kind of energized for me. I knew the 2016 one, too, and you'd think maybe I'd like, but no, 1993, that one I could listen to over and over again, yep. I think. Yep. All right. There you have it, listeners. And you wonder what for the If Then segment. We're going to get recommendations from Lenny and Forrest, and they're going to tell us if you liked this musical, what else might you like? Lenny, what do you think? Well, if you like this show, you might also enjoy another one of my personal all-time favorites, another nearly perfect musical about people who also work in a store, people who are also trying to connect and better their situations, but with maybe a decidedly less happy ending, whose best material belongs to and is inextricably associated with its iconic leading lady. Any guesses? No, what is it? So intrigued. Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, (laughs) Uh, Music by Alan Menken, book and lyrics by Howard Ashman. Uh, Stylistically and thematically, these two shows could not be more different. (laughs) So if you're looking for something that might be more in the same vein-ish of She Loves Me, I would say A Little Night Music. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Music and lyrics by Sondheim, book by Hugh Wheeler. It's lush. It's impossibly romantic. Um, with more than a touch of cynicism in the score, uh, but full of comic complications in its already nearly perfect book, gorgeous European settings, Mm. and Like She Loves Me, the score is just to die for. Um, And incidentally, the legendary director Hal Prince was the director of both the original productions of Night Music and She Loves Me. So there we go. It's a good connection. Forrest, which one would you pick? Okay, I'll give you one older one and two modern day ones. I love Little Shop of Horrors, but that's a great pick because I was thinking of ones that occur, you know, in like a business workplace. Yeah, yeah. Um, But... If you like She Loves Me, how about Fiorello, the one they wrote right before that? It's a great musical. I love that show. I love it more than She Loves Me. It's probably my second mm. favorite. I was Marie in the Stuart Ostro really? theater really? class. Yeah, yeah. God, a lot of people don't show. know that show. I know they don't. Well, it's hard to revive it. It's about obscure mm-hmm. mayor 
but they know the airport, right? Laguardia. They all know the airport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would love, man. Can we get Poltite to do that show? Sure. I love your role. Yeah. But so that's a great show, just because it shows off the writing again, and it is very similar score wise, I'd say. But if you want a more modern take, how about one that takes place in a restaurant with an interesting romantic twist? How about waitress, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Waitress, because they're all kind of working together, right? And they have those relationships. Or another modern one. I don't think, Lenny, I don't know if you listen to this one, Stephanie. I don't know if you have either. But Amelie oh, is yeah. kind of the same way where they work in the same place. Yeah. The main guy and girl kind of have a will-they-won't-they they romance mm-hmm. as well. So I think either of those would be good for romantic scores. I love that movie, but I haven't had a chance to listen to the musical school. version. I, mm-hmm. I would love to. I think I emailed you about it at some you point did. when we were talking about play reading. Yeah. I, was, mm-hmm. I was very curious. I, yeah, I keep suggesting that one to Lenny. Lenny thinks it's too quirky for Aww. a full time. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I'm looking at it a little harder. Down we'll the road. See. Oh, but sure. that's just talking about it for our specific theater. In general, I think the score is just delightful, and mm-hmm. the movie is also probably on my top 20 of all time oh, list. It's it. a great it's movie. It's so sweet. It's the perfect little gem. It really is. And now it's time for the Battle Royale portion of our show, where Forrest and Lenny take on a musical theater topic of their choosing to discuss and debate and delight us all with their wit and wisdom regarding all things Broadway. For this show, they have chosen, and God, I love this so, so much... Barbara Cook. Sweet and low, sweet and low, how sweet that memory, how long ago. Enough, enough, of being basely tearful, I'll show my noble stuff, my being Greatest Broadway soprano of all time, 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 is throwing a dinner party for her fellow Broadway sopranos, past and present, and wants you to complete the guest list. However, she lives in a really tiny New York apartment, and she only (laughs) has two extra chairs around her table. So, who are the other two sopranos that get invited to Barbara Cook's dinner party, and... Why, Forrest, let's start with you. Times are tough, you know, even Barbara Cook's feeling the heat. Okay. Inflation. <laughs> but, um, okay, my second greatest Broadway soprano would probably have to be Julie Andrews. Okay, oh, I know we talked about her earlier. Yeah. And then even when we were talking about Laura Benanti, how it sounds, you know, kind of like she was working in force. When you hear Julie Andrews, it sounds effortless. like effortless. Yeah. You know, like she just, the vocal quality, um, her two musicals, uh, when she was younger were My Fair Lady and Camelot, right? And then, of course, the movie for Mary Poppins and The Sound of Music. She just has crystal clear voice. I love her accent. Uh, she can definitely come hang out with me and Barbara Cook and the best Sopranos <laughs> vocal party. Do you want me to say my second one, or do you want to go one-on-one? Uh, go, no, go I'll ahead. I'll go ahead. I'm, I'm okay. dying to know who uh, So my, the next one would be Rebecca Luger. Uh, I love Rebecca Luger. Um, her voice, it, it moves me to tears on songs that shouldn't move me to tears in. So um, beautiful soprano voice. She has a musicality in her voice that not many actresses have, I believe. Um, do, you, do you know Rebecca Luger? So The oh, Secret Garden. Sure. Do you know The Secret Garden? Mm, she, oh, so she sings her. some lovely songs in The Secret Garden. And then um, she was in a revival of The Music Man back in 2001, 2000. Uh, I think it was 2000. Um, and what? Oh, she did a revival in 1991, 1990 of Brigadoon, 
with Brent Bear and her she sings a song Waiting for My Deary and that makes me start tearing up and I'm like, Why am I why am I tearing up at this song? She did pass away a couple years ago too, and so it just makes me That's too bad. You know, even sadder. But I love her voice. So Julie Andrews and Rebecca Luker, they can party. All right. Well, my answer is a little wordier than Forrest. Sorry. Um, That's okay. Wait, like, tell me, tell me, do you agree? What do you think oh, about my answer for it? Okay. That's rebuttal so, and all. Tell you. Rebecca Luker may or may not figure into some of my answers, so I'll okay, reserve. Okay. We'll talk about Julie. That. Julie Andrews. Here's the thing. We who doesn't love Julie Andrews, right? She's Eliza Doolittle and Mary Poppins and Victor Victoria, mm-hmm. and she's all the things we all wanted her to be our nanny. And our flower seller on the street. You know, it's great. Lovely voice. But she does this talk singy thing that I uh, I can't, like, tell you right off the top of my head. Um, do a dia, a female dia. And then she'll go back into the melody, and it makes me want to just hit something real hard. It's just like, Julie, sing the melody. Um, little, she's trying to contrast, make it more interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and that's great. That's a vocal quirk that she has, and fine. But, but yes, her crystal clear tone, and so when good. she was at the height of her powers, you can't argue it. Yeah. Um, she's so overrated, she's underrated now, Lenny. Kind of, yeah. Because she's so overrated. It. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I, I mean, I nobody that. will sing Eliza Doolittle like she does. Uh-huh. Um, nobody will sing even even uh, Guinevere and Camelot, mm-hmm. regardless of your opinion on that show. She's one of a kind, um, but she would not be invited sure. to the dinner party. Yeah. There's, and also just admit, now go ahead, you do yours though. Well, all, I think you were about to say there are so many. There are just like, so many. There are so it's many. hard to narrow it down. Audrey, Audrey McDonald. Oh, I don't know if he's, she's on your oh. list, but she wasn't on my list. What, what am I doing? Victoria right. Clark. I mean, we just name off 20, you know, yeah, real quick. Just off the top of my head, the options, which should be obvious choices for this, are legends in their own time. Audrey McDonald, Kristen Chenoweth. We've got Kristen Laura Benanti, Sierra Bogus, Melissa Errico. You've got, from the Golden Age, the one and only Julie Andrews as well as um, lesser-known Anna Maria Albergetti from Carnival. I love her. Yes. Carol Lawrence from West Side Story. Dude. Susan Watson, who was like the go-to soprano mm-hmm. of the 60s. Bye Bye Birdie, uh, the Fantastics, she originated before the original production, like mm. the readings and the workshops. Uh, Florence Henderson, who we talked about, um, and the often overlooked, who we may talk about next time, Mary Beth Peel. Ah, oh, uh, yeah, one. right? Um, so many good ones. And then more recently, you've got people like Marin Maisie and Judy Kuhn, who were gorgeous sopranos, but yes. were also known as fierce they beltresses, yeah. right? <laughs> so, you know, any one of these choices is the right choice. Okay, but tell us your But, but you have to narrow <laughs> it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hard. Um, I'm giving my honorable mention chair to Rebecca Luker uh, mm-hmm. f- for every reason you said. She is... Un- and I- I'm... So excited for you to go discover, to discover her. her. I am too. Yeah, time. she's lovely. Um, I came to the Rebecca Luker party late. I didn't appreciate her voice until she was no longer with us. She uh, passed away in late 2020 after like a two or three year battle with um, ALS, Lou oh Gehrig's disease. Gosh. Yeah, she was wow. 59. Um, That's terrible. Yeah, it was, and it was. Uh, side note: um, there were a lot of, if we remember during the dark times of the pandemic when we were sitting at home, there were a lot of like reunion concerts of Broadway shows that were streamed on YouTube and things like that. Um, that's where I kind of connected with Rebecca Luker. She was on a lot of those things and promoting, um, not promoting her disease, but promoting um, awareness, awareness, and yeah. concerts and benefits to raise money for, for ALS, ALS awareness and cures. research. Yeah, yeah, there and a lot of them are still up. I recommend you go look for some of this stuff. It's heartbreaking to see her in that condition, but 
um, just outstanding that she used what time she had yeah. for such a great cause. Um, so she is my honorable mention because she can't attend because she is too busy teaching the angels how to sing properly. Aww. God bless her. So my two picks for Barbara Crook's dinner party are Kelly O'Hara <gasps> and Patty Cohenauer. And you're saying Patty who? Yeah. Let me educate you Please. about Patty Cohenauer. Sure. She's one of my favorite sopranos, um, but her body of work on recordings is so small that she you flies under the radar. She flies under the radar, but she is so worth seeking out. Um, some of her credits uh, was most of which were in the eighties. Um, she would cut. Co- she covered roles in uh, the New York Shakespeare Festival public theater productions of Pirates of Penzance and Mimi in La Boheme. She was like oh. understudying, standing by for Linda Ronstadt wow. in those productions. Uh, Broadway credits immediately followed. She originated um, Mary Jane and Big River and Rosa Bud and the Mystery of Edwin Drood, which she also did in London, uh, which uh, that Mystery of Edwin Drood cast recording is one of the greatest of all time. Wait, she, so she's in the Mystery of Edwin Drood, the original she originated cast? Yeah, she's Rosa And then Bud. she's in Big River? Yes. Which I hate, but... Um, yeah, well, we'll fight about <laughs> that Mystery of Edwin Drood, I like. <laughs> yeah, um, but her voice is so distinctive in each one. Huh. She's like a, a operatic Dolly Parton, if you can believe it, in Big River, if that makes sense in your mind. Sure. But then she's like glorious classical soprano in Mystery of Edwin Drood. She was also the first, the cover standby alternate for Sarah Brightman in Phantom of the Opera in the original company. Wow. And then she originally took over the role um, and then went on the national tour. The first tour, she did it in Toronto with Colin Wilkinson. Yeah. Huge amount of stuff in that sort of amount of time. Uh, she um, did uh, workshops and things of Lily in the Secret Garden before Rebecca Luker wow. got it. Sure. She did uh, Showboat in Toronto in that same mm. like production that Rebecca Luker yeah, did. Yeah, Rebecca Luker's yeah. on the too. Their, their career paths are mm-hmm. kind of parallel. Um, she more somewhat more recently, she took a little bit of a break and then came back into the 1997 revival of The Sound of Music playing Mother Abbess, which starred Rebecca Luker and then starred Laura Benanti as an 18-year-old <laughs> taking <laughs> oh, over. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. And then uh-huh. what we might know her most from or best from is uh, she played the Italian mother in The Light and Piazza. Oh. So she oh, had really? that, yeah, is yeah. she on the cast album? She's on the cast album. How She's nice. on the PBS recording. Okay. How nice. Um, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, it's watch her again. Listen, she's amazing. Um, the voice is is rich and it's powerful, but it's like ethereal and wispy and delicate all at once. It's a Sounds and, and fascinating. So distinctive. Like, you know, you you've told me, Forrest, mm-hmm. you want performers to be distinctive true, and you recognize yeah. their voices you know by hearing you. them. Mm-hmm. You will know it's Patty Cohen hour okay. just by listening to her once you've heard her a couple of times. Um, so because of her uh, under the radar, underrated, whatever, I'm pulling her back to come hang out with Barbara Cook. Betwixt our hearts, let nothing
Kelly O'Hara, I mean, what is there to say about Kelly O'Hara? She does not need an introduction. Uh -uh. When I think of the perfect classic Broadway soprano, it's Kelly. Um, she's at home with the classic Rodgers and Hammerstein, Learners and Lowe stuff, but she can do the crazy cool new stuff by Adam Gettle and Jason Robert Brown and all that. Um, just in case you don't know Kelly O'Hara, dear listener, um, she has done everything. Um, she her, Some of her first major credits were the national tour of the original company of Jekyll and Hyde and also Follies in 2001, mm -hmm. both of which I saw, but I oh. didn't know that I was seeing Kelly O'Hara because she wasn't Kelly O'Hara yet. Right. Yeah. Um, she did uh, Sweet Smell of Success. Classic. Yes. She did Dracula. She did Light in the Piazza, The Pajama Game, South Pacific. All those revivals, yeah. Ella Peterson mm -hmm. and Bells Are Ringing, which mm -hmm. I sh would have sold my mother to have seen that. <laughs> Um, she loves me concert. Nice work if you can get it. Bridges of Madison County. King and I. Brigadoon. Kiss me, Kate. It goes on, 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 on. And the upcoming Days of Wine and Roses, yep. which we've talked yeah, about yeah. before. Yeah. Cannot wait. She great. regularly performs in operas, um, just as a matter of course. Yeah. Um, the sound, like you were talking about with Julie Andrews, is just pure and effortless. And you know she's working, but you don't hear it. Um, she can sing you a lullaby or she can blast you to the back of the theater and you're loving every minute of it. Um, also, fun fact, uh, in researching for this, I discovered that Kelly O'Hara and I share a birthday. Wow, that's so, exciting. Oh my God. Yeah, the, the year is different, but April 16th. She's and definitely invited to the party. Though. Yes. She's <laughs> so invited. She's so here for it. Like I could listen to her for hours and I have. Uh, she's just the best of the best. She is this generation's Barbara Cook and her legacy. I can't wait mm. to see what it becomes mm. over the next several decades. So Kelly O'Hara, Patty Cohenauer. All right. Some excellent choices, boys. Sure. Excellent sure. choices. Love it. Goodbye. Goodbye. And now, sadly, our time with you, dear friends, has drawn to a close. Be sure to tune in to our next episode when we'll be reviewing Nine, the musical that actually started out as a class project and went on to win five Tony Awards. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Settling Scores, the musical theater podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, rate, and review us. And most importantly, tell your friends about it. Until next time, this is Stephanie. I'm Lenny. And Forrest. Saying farewell. So long. Farewell. farewell. Oh, Forrest was singing it in unison <laughs> and harmony. <laughs> farewell. Farewell.